all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Good morning. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about a really tough topic that I know is on everyone's mind right now, the mass killings that have occurred. This time, they keep reoccurring. What type of mind can commit such a heinous crime? Um, Is there a mental illness? Is it something else? Is it something inborn? Nurture nature? What's going on? Are there brain differences that can make it easier to commit violence? And if if there are differences, is there a way to identify that person at risk and help them so that these terrible instances don't happen? So today I want to talk about that. I have um, my partner at the Center for the Advancement of Youth, Dr. David Elkin, here today, who is a psychologist and executive director at K, who will help us talk through this. Thanks for coming, David. Thanks for having me. So um, we really do want you to share your comments and and thoughts and and maybe even experiences. Uh, You can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So um, I just want to say a couple of words, and then we have our first caller already on the line. Wanda, I'll be with you in a minute. Um, just a couple of things I want to mention. Severely mentally ill people account for only 3 to 5% of violent crimes in the general population. So I want you to hear that, that all violent crime is not committed by people who have been identified as being severely mentally ill. Now, by severely mentally ill, I'm talking about schizophrenia, severe bipolar disorder, or um, psychosis, um, psychotic depression. And we'll talk some more about that in some of the terms. Dr. Elkin will help us sort of tease out what's what. But most researchers investigating the question of aggression have found um, that there is some association between violence and significant psychological disturbance, albeit small. So let's go on to our first caller. Good morning, Wanda. Wanda's in Pontotoc, and she has some comments about compassion for the shooter. Talk to us, Wanda. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to share uh, the feelings that I have when I hear about a mass shooting, and I'm so glad you're doing this. I don't know why people do this, but I feel horror, of course. I feel sadness for the victims. I have an even stronger desire for people not to be able to obtain certain weapons. But I also feel a very, very strong compassion and concern for the victims' families. And that, um, I'm, I'm sorry, for the shooter's families. Right. So, um, 
that's what I wanted to tell you. So, Wanda, Wanda. go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Wanda, can you turn your radio down and speak up just a little bit? We're having a little bit of difficulty hearing you. I'm so sorry. Um... So let me just say a couple of things. Um, you, you said several things that have hit your heart, but one in particular is compassion for the family of the perpetrator. And, and certainly, um, I, I think we've all heard, not just with this incident in Las Vegas, but, but also in others, many times the family members have either had no idea and felt like things were going okay, or they um, had tried to seek help for their individual who committed the crime and saw some signs and felt like help wasn't out there. So I think all of us know that uh, if we don't know, you need to know, listeners, that the, the mental health out there, the help for people with mental health disorders is so far below what we give to people for physical health. Right, Dr. Elkin? Correct. It's usually the last of the list. You're right. Last on the list. Why is that? Um, So, yes, compassion for that that person's family who now is going to have to handle this for the rest of their lives, knowing that their brother their um, cousin, their uncle, perhaps, or father maybe um, committed such terrible act that affected so many. So I, I guess we all need to keep thinking about that. Wanda, thank, thanks for your call. Uh, let's go, uh, Dr. Elkin, before I go to the next caller, do you have any other comments on, on Wanda's thoughts? I do. I think that what she's expressing is a very good thing that we need to keep in mind. We as humans um, tend to have an outpouring of compassion at events like this, and she's reminding us to keep that compassion, compassion wide. Right, right. All right, so compassion. Hard sometimes, isn't it? Let's go next to Gabe. We have Gabe in Ridgeland. Um, Gabe, you have some comments about the victims? Yeah, Dr. Buttress, thank you so much for taking my call. I always uh, love talking to um, Thank you. The, uh, when the um, Columbine massacre uh, happened years ago, uh, the two shooters were, you know, fans of uh, Marilyn Manson, the, you know, the shock rock uh, artist. Right. And, um, and Marilyn Manson didn't do a press conference, wouldn't talk about Columbine. The first interview that he did after Columbine was almost six months after it happened. It was actually on um, Bill O'Reilly's show. I'm not a huge fan of O'Reilly. I'm not a huge fan of Marilyn Manson. But it was, but I, I, I tuned in and I, I thought, oh my gosh, Marilyn Manson and Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> this is like, this is this is going to be crazy. And and Bill O'Reilly asked him if his shocking lyrics you know, contributed to to this, and he made a great point that his music you know, gave people an out. And I, I have a point here, I promise. Okay. Um, he said the reason that he didn't talk about Columbine was because that's exactly what shooters would have wanted him to do. He said whenever a tragedy like this happens, everyone knows the name of the shooter. 
no one can ever remember the names of the victims. I'm not trying to be argumentative, not trying to provide a counterpoint to the last caller, but if we would stop talking about the name, the problems, the psychoses of these killers and talk only about the victims, because that's what matters, then these events would not happen as often as they do. We make these people into celebrities. Well, uh, we hear your point, Gabe, and and certainly we want to make sure that these people are not held in any light other than the 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 terrible act that they committed. I hear you on that. I guess one issue that we keep trying to do, and you hear this in the media, but honestly, I will tell you, you will hear that if you know anyone who is in the area of mental behavioral health. It's trying to figure out what needs to be done differently. How can you identify somebody who is at risk? And I hear, I've even heard this in the media, and sometimes I agree. I think that uh, the sensationalism, it's just another great news story, isn't it? No, I, I am starting to hear people get desperate for the discovery of why in the world does this continue to happen, and what do we need to do differently? Don't you think, Dr. Elkin? I think so, especially in a case like this where there's not an easily identifiable cause behind the shooter's action. It's one thing if it's um, terrorism from an organized state, such as ISIS or something like that. We can identify that they have you know, perpetrated this. But when it comes out of the clear blue like this, like this apparently did, that's what is unnerving to us. Yeah. This guy seemingly um, had had a good career as an accountant, um, owned a lot of properties. Yes, he was a career um, gambler now, but apparently fairly good at it. So so what what in the world was going on? And I think as we move through, I, I bet there are people out there right this very minute. I might shock you with what I'm getting ready to say, but I know that. I've had the thought myself about if he wanted to die, because he knew he wasn't getting out of that. If he wanted to die, why didn't he just kill himself? Why didn't he just? Now, suicide's a terrible thing. We've had shows on suicide. We know that there are all kinds of programs trying to diminish suicide. But when something like that happens, what in the world? That wasn't just suicide, right? That was um, mass homicide and then suicide. So it was a horrible double, triple, quadruple whammy. So uh, uh, y'all think about this. We're going to take our first break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about um, some definitions of mental illness and what's what. And um, then I want to hear more from you about your thoughts on all of this. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. And maybe you have some thoughts of what we really should be doing better. Are we giving too much attention to the, the perpetrator? This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here today with Dr. David Elkin from the Center for the Advancement of Youth. We're talking about these mass killings and how in the world, what kind of mind does that? Why does that happen? How can we stop it? What can we do? We've had so many lives lost in this particular incident, 50 plus, Um, many, many more injured, many who will suffer probably long-term psycho-emotional stress from something like this. These are the kinds of incidents where post-traumatic stress disorder is born, right? Correct. So um, why does it happen? What can you do? I think, Dr. Elkin, you had some thoughts about maybe one of the first things we ever heard about many years ago and remembering the guy's name. We all still remember the guy's name. Yeah, yeah. so at the break, um, Dr. Butchers and I were talking. We had a colleague here at UMC named Dr. Ron Drabman. And when Luke Woodham, and that was the, the name of the first real school shooter in Pearl here in Mississippi when he shot at the school, they interviewed Dr. Drabman and said, what do you think? He said, you don't want to know. They said, no, really, we want to think. And he said, it's likely going to happen again because y'all are paying so much attention to this. You're, you're paying attention. Instead of emphasizing the horror of it, it's, it's being sensationalized. And he was right. It happened again in uh, Paducah and Columbine and you know, Connecticut. And it's happened in other places. But I think that the, the last caller was making a, a good point of, you know, we need to uh, emphasize the horror of this. And yeah. that's, I think, what we're doing this morning. Yeah. Remember the horror and don't remember the shooter. We, we really need to watch that. Okay, let's go back to the phones. We have several people waiting. We have Patricia in Columbus. Patricia, you have some comments about mental illness. Well, I do, um, and thank you for taking my call. Um, you're asking what can we do as far as right. stopping these types of things, and I know that so many people are not educated as to um, the signs of any kind of illness like this, just like this guy's family um, said they had no clue. And I think being better educated about what to look for, but I think that our society doesn't understand that mental illness and particularly depression is what I call, it's a life-threatening illness, just like cancer. Um, and I don't think we take those things seriously enough. Um, when I had a, my teen, my daughter was a teenager and, and came to me and said she was depressed, I immediately took action and we did something about it. And I think a lot of people tend to blow that off. So, right, right. I, you know, I just wanted to make that comment. One of the best things we can do for our own families is to educate ourselves on, on signs and symptoms of and ways to help those people. 
Thanks, Patricia. And thanks for bringing out the fact that mental illness is the same thing as a physical illness. It needs to be diagnosed and it needs to be treated appropriately. I know you have some comments. I see you're ready to talk on this, Dr. Elkin. Well, I was appreciative of the way she said mental illness like and depression is a life-threatening disease, much like cancer. That was really uh, appropriate here. And I appreciate the fact that she's bringing this up, that this is something we tend to neglect because... I think for one reason, it's hard to notice. And secondly, we tend to think that people just need to you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, just yeah. just get over it. And yeah. clearly they can't. And like I've said before, one of my daughters said, how in the world can you pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you don't even have any boots? You need some tools to be able to do that. So um, let's talk real quickly before we go to our next caller. Can you tell us um, some of the signs and symptoms of depression? And then I want us to hear the difference between what psychosis is and what is a psychopath and i know we have callers waiting you guys just hang on for a minute and we'll be right with you so depression um, is typically diagnosed uh, first of all with anhedonia loss of pleasure in things Um, the two h words we typically use are hopeless and helpless and someone Mm -hmm. feels like there's no hope it's not going to get better and there's nothing i can do get with this, you'll see changes in activities of daily living, you know, changes in sleep and appetite, but just that, that, that sense of, I feel bad, I have no pleasure in life anymore, and there's nothing that can be done about it is, I guess, a, a brief synopsis, yeah. you know? A good one. So you need to be aware of that. Yeah. If you have a family member with that. Now, some of the terms that are thrown around uh, in situations like this are um, sociopath versus a psychopath. And a sociopath is what we call someone with antisocial personality disorder or a sociop- sociopathy. And that tends to be thought of as not as serious as a psychopath. Uh, someone who has antisocial personality disorder, you know, repeated violations of law, lying, deception, physical aggressiveness, disregard of safety for self or others, that kind of stuff, lack of remorse versus a psychopath, which has a lack of remorse or empathy, um, you know, lack of deep emotional attachments, narcissism, superficial charm. These people are, are dangerous. Are dangerous. Uh, yeah. Many times end up in prison, but not always, because sometimes they can be very charming and fool you. And so we'll talk a little bit more as we move along about a couple of studies where there have been some brain differences found. But let's go back to the phones. Uh, we have J.D. in South Haven. Good morning, J.D. Thanks for listening. Why, thank you, ma'am. Um, I'm a retired psychologist, and I worked for 10 years at the um, uh, Western Mental Health Institute at Bolivar, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I was also on the forensic team there. So... There are a couple of things I'd like to say. First, we had a poor facility when I was there, um, plant-wise, but we gave good care, acute care. And when we put some people back out on the street, they got very poor care, Um, little little follow-up care. Nobody cares about the mentally ill people except perhaps their families and the people who work with them. And unfortunately, that's the way society is. Um, I would say 
the kind of crime we saw, mass murder, is very seldom um, perpetrated by someone who is psychotic. Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, that happens one-on-one or, or three or four people at the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's due to uh, uh, paranoia on the part of the individual. Um, number two, uh, this guy was 64 years old. To have a psychotic, first psychotic break at that point, would be extremely rare. Right. You're bringing up some great points. And, yeah, exactly what um, other experts in this area are saying, that that this does not seem like an individual with schizophrenia or with psychotic depression or anything like this. This is an individual who was smart, who planned this well and um, implemented something that he clearly had thought about for a long time. Yeah. So. Uh, I'd like to make one other comment. Sure. About gun control. Uh, It's not ever going to happen in this country because the NRA has too much money and too much power and too much investment in the way things are. Okay. Um, I hear you. It feels um, that we've made little progress. There was some um, there. There was several comments out there uh, today, this morning on the on the news, but in other areas that it doesn't seem that these mass shootings um, have changed most people's opinion. I'm curious to ask others of you out there: Has it changed yours? Do you feel like anything differently needs to be done? Because it it does doesn't seem it seems like there's this black and white and there's not a lot of uh, grayness though I've heard a couple of people change their minds what do you think dr. Elkin I think you're right I think that uh, JD makes a good point but I also think that um, it, it's something I think what I'd like to highlight in all this is what we're trying to highlight is can we do more for individuals who need this and can we uh, help out, help them out if they feel like they're in a bind and can we um, give them the help that JD says they need once they get out somewhere and Right. I, I want to go back to that point that he made. So you get really great inpatient care if you have serious illness, but then you get out and often things are dropped. People don't have the good insurance. There's a limit on the coverage and all. And so the help is not there. So, J.D., thanks for your call. We appreciate all of your points. Um, let's keep going on the phones. We have Bill in New Albany. Bill, you have some thoughts? Yes. Uh, I'm, my wife says I got a weird sense of humor, but I'm thinking about the JFK. What if that man was shot and there were six other guys and they're doing all the shooting? We don't know the answer to that. That's a good question. We'll have to wait on police investigation to, yeah. to figure out exactly what's going on, I suppose. And the question is, do we trust our um, criminal justice system to give us a good answer? Yeah, but like I said, that that could be very well and a good idea for some idiots. But people are strange nowadays. And um, my opinion on gun control, take away all the guns. That way the crooks are the only one who has them. <laughs> Heard that a lot, um, Bill. 
So, yeah, you know, I don't think we know all the answers, and we probably won't um, because he he ended up um, allegedly, I guess we don't know for sure, killing himself. So thanks, Bill. Thanks for your thoughts. And um, we still have some open lines ready to hear from others at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're talking about the mass killings and how in the world can we stop? Is there any kind of way we can figure out who is at risk for doing something like this? Um, what We want to know what you think. We're going to stay on the phones. So let's go to Frank and Jackson. Frank, good morning. You have some thoughts? Yeah, I'm so disappointed in this show with the way you're approaching this whole affair. People have been killing people from it, from time immemorial. The only difference now is that we've got assault weapons. Here we are spending valuable time, valuable intellect on worrying about one guy where this society and basically the whole world are manufacturing psychopaths. We're manufacturing people in depression. We're manufacturing people with PTSD. But we get sidetracked. If you talk about glorifying the media, glorifying one person, that's exactly what you're doing. Look about... Oh, Frank, I'm sorry you think that, because I expressly started off trying to put this in a completely different light. I have not mentioned that man's name, by the way, and I will not. I agree with you that we don't want to glorify it. What has happened, though, is um, that, yes, people have been killing people for a very long time, and it won't stop. But what is the impetus that makes people move toward mass killings? Is it just to be famous, perhaps, like Dr. Drabman said um, many years ago? Is it, is it just because you need to, to, to be famous? Is it because you've got something wrong in your brain that is making you act this way? Um, or do you lack that midbrain, that, that empathy part of it, that the rest of us have. Do you lack feeling? I don't know. Dr. Elkin, comment for us. I think that you've got some interesting studies you can talk about in a second about some right. of those biological studies. And, and I agree, Frank, that uh, we don't want to glorify this, and this has been going on a long time. Uh, it doesn't make it any less you know, right, of course, and I know you agree with that. Um, I appreciate the compliment of saying we're wasting a lot of intellectual time. That's a, a nice compliment <laughs> to us and to you, honestly. Right. But um, I think we want to find out is you know, how can we hopefully improve these kind of situations. We we are in the people change business, you and I, Dr. Butchers. We believe yeah. that people can change and so we're we're constantly searching for ways to do that. You know? Right. Right. So rather than thinking of people with severe mental illness as generally dangerous, and actually the point of of the show today really was to make sure that we did not assume that if you had a significant or severe mental illness that you had a penchant to be violent. Um, It's not fair. There are a lot of really great people out there with a significant mental illness who have gotten help and who are doing very well in their 
amazingly productive individuals. So let's be real careful. I um, was reading a blog as I was preparing for this um, about a woman who had been diagnosed um, with schizophrenia. She was seeking treatment. She was on medication. She was going to therapy. She was working on everything. And her um, this happened after one of the mass shootings. And some information came out that perhaps the person had had schizophrenia. And she was fired. She was fired for that because they felt like that the workplace may be in danger because this woman had that diagnosis. Um, that is what we don't need to let happen. We need to understand that you can have significant severe mental illness and get appropriate treatment and be a productive individual. And um, we need to keep that in mind and, and remind each other and ourselves. But at the same time, to try to figure out what makes someone do this is probably the right thing to go, the right way to go to make sure that if we see signs or symptoms, that's preventive, right? Um, but the better way to go. Right. If we see signs and symptoms of any other kind of uh, physical ailment, we want to help that person get well. And I think it's the same thing here. Right. Um, but I think you're exactly right. We would never fire someone with diabetes. No. Uh, we'd never fire someone who had been treated for cancer. But the assumption is that something like a mental illness um, would put them at higher risk of um, dangerous behavior is, is silly. Right. Um, I know we need to go to a break. Uh, we've got some open lines. We'd love to hear from you guys out there with your thoughts and opinions about um, this incident or other um, issues that are ongoing that you feel like we need to address better about mental illness. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I've been here with Dr. David Elkin. He had to just leave to go do a lecture at the medical center teaching those people. But I'm still here. We're talking about mass killings. Um, what kind of mind does it? Why um, do we um, treat our individuals with mental illness appropriately? It's a question. Do we need better gun control? Do we, um, do we inappropriately assume that people who commit mass killings always have a significant mental illness. Perhaps we've discussed all of that as we're moving along. Um, let's go on back to the phones. We have Elliot 
Elliot, good morning. Thanks for good calling. Morning. How are you doing? Doing great. Down in Hattiesburg, uh, things are beautiful down there, I know. Oh, yes, it is. It is. Well, well talk to us. You have some comments about mental illness and guns. I wanted to say I think it's a terrible tragedy what happened, you know, and I will have to see what details come out about the shooter and everything, too. But anyway, I work as a, a, prof- a licensed professional counselor, and I've worked with a lot of mentally ill people and everything, too. And uh, there's a number of different approaches you take to treating people, including medication and behavioral therapy. But one of the simplest interventions that's very effective is changing the person's environment. And a lot of times, um, you know, the goal is making the environment safer so that, you know, if someone does become unstable, that they're less likely to harm other people, too. And it's just unfortunate um, in our country, the laws or the lack of laws that we have on the boats concerning guns is it's awful. It's just awful, 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 awful. I mean, look, I support every person's right to bear arms. I grew up with guns myself, but not everybody should be allowed to have a machine gun. It's stupid, just stupid, and unfortunately this kind of thing is going to happen again. And um, so anyway, let's think about our environment, how we can change it to make these things less likely to happen, or else we're going to wind up with the same thing, and people are going to wonder why. So anyway, that's just my two cents. Thanks, Elliot. We appreciate your two cents, and you have some good points. I want to point out one other area that we haven't talked about yet, but it's it's all throughout the literature that individuals who use su- uh, abuse substances, whether it's prescription drugs or illicit drugs, it greatly boosts the chances of violent behavior. Even in healthy subjects who otherwise don't have any mental illness. Remember at the beginning of the show, I said that that violent crimes are committed um, um, only 3% to 5%. I'm going to get this right in a minute. Only 3 to 5% of violent crimes are presented, are committed. committed by individuals with um, a mental illness, a significant mental illness. So there are other reasons going on. So drug use, we really need to to get a hold on. We think we all know that. Our opiate addiction is horrible. We've got a lot of bad stuff going on with that. Um, if you have a mental illness and you also misuse substances, that increases the risk. So to keep that in mind, it's it's not certainly just the guns, but also substance abuse, misuse, um, alcohol, um, and and all of that. So, Elliot, thanks for your call. We need to take better care of our people who are ill. Let's go to David in Memphis. Uh, David, you have some comments about suicide. Uh, yes, I sure do. I've just been. Thinking about this, I happen to work in an old folks home, so I see a lot of elderly people who have a hard time even uh, keeping functioning well during the day and night. And I, I, I'm thinking about, well, actually, human rights is what I'm thinking about. It, you know, people can have guns, they can have drugs, they, they can even be politicians, they can do all sorts of things, but for some reason. We don't consider human rights and the ability to commit suicide in the same level. I, uh, I, I would like to talk about the right of suicide in humans, 
without getting involved in the religious aspect of it. Hmm. Interesting. So um, I think you're, I understand where where you're coming from, David. I, I guess when when we most people who commit suicide, not all, I know there's some people who have severe physical illnesses and decide that they can't face whatever they have to face, and that's why um, they choose, um, and you know, all the, this is another whole subject matter, um, but the majority of individuals who commit suicide are severely depressed, are, are having significant problems with bipolar disorder, or are struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. So those are times when your, your clear thinking is clouded. And so I, I think you are probably talking about another whole issue that would be an interesting show sometimes. We would certainly have to have an ethicist present. Um, but but I understand um, the the topic, and I've certainly been involved in some conversation in this area. Don't know a lot of research along those lines, though, David. Um, thanks for your call, and um, I'll think more about that maybe for another show. Uh, let's go on to Andrew and Natchez. Andrew, you have um, um, some comments. I, actually, what I was going to comment on, I changed my comment. I I was going to say that I know it'll never happen but I think we really need to you know be honest about the I think the root cause of a lot of this not necessarily this fellow is the breakdown of the family and the whole basically degradation of our morals not trying to get on a religious tangent I'm a Christian and I do believe that if you truly are a Christian I think a lot of these things wouldn't happen if the people, you know, more people were truly Christians, but, you know, the world is the devil's playground. And I just wanted to think, basically, I think the breakdown of the family and the glorification of violence in Hollywood and so forth and you know, the root causes of all these troubles. And mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever honestly address the troubles because of, uh, you know, variety of racial overtones and uh, that kind of stuff. But I enjoy your show. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for calling. You sounded a little down on your comments, and I understand um, why any anyone might feel discouraged at this point. Uh, your comment about the breakdown of the family, you know, um, the adverse childhood events study that I've mentioned before always brings out the fact that um, a protective factor is to have someone there for you. So, yes, having a unified family, whether it's a single parent family or a dual parent family, having someone present for you, whether it's your grandparents who are raising you or that aunt or uncle who are raising you, having one person who cares about you is such a protective factor. Um, Once again, I want to bring out uh, how important it is if you have someone that you can mentor if you see someone who is in need please reach out that's something that we each can do you don't have to have any incredible talent or training to be able to be a supportive nurturing individual to someone 
So thank you for that that comment, Andrew. I'm I'm trying not to be Pollyanna about it, but at the same time, I I feel like if we just all are determined to make changes. Uh, perhaps we can if we support those people who are in need or in help and if we learn to look for the negative signs and then be aware of people who perhaps are not um, those uh, who are at higher risk for committing crime that we look after it. We're going to go to our next break. Um, Right now we're talking about the mass killings and um, maybe we're talking about the hope of moving forward and how we can do that. Um, I also want to talk to you about the fact that there really are some brain differences when we get back. We have Sue waiting. Sue, don't go away. Uh, We'll be right back. You can still call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We've been talking about a really tough topic, the mass killings and what kind of mind can commit such a heinous act and is it mental illness or something else? And and as I just want to emphasize, we know that the majority of violent crimes are committed by people who do not have a mental health diagnosis. Um, the point that we've tried to make throughout the show is if there is someone out there with some recognizable problem, though, we need to help them out. Let's go back to the phones. We have Sue and Beaumont. Sue, you have some comments about mental well, illness? Hi. hi. Uh, first, I wish that you would have a program about suicide. It, it, it's, it, that's very important. I hope you will have a program on that soon. We will. Thank you, and Sue. First of all, I'd like to say I'm a registered nurse, and I worked home health for years. And I was surprised. When you go into a client's homes and you see there's so many people out there who need some mental help, but... It, Mental illness is so stigmatized that people, it's, it's a big stigma. People don't mind talking about their diabetes or their hypertension or anything else that's going on. But if there's mental illness, people don't want to talk about it because it, there's a big stigma. I'm not crazy, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, I, I was always surprised. I, I realized that there's more mental illness out there than there is any other ailment that affects human beings because every family has, more, has somebody in there that needs help, but they won't go get help because they don't, they, they don't want to be stigmatized by that. Sue, you're absolutely right, and we need to stop that. We need to remember that our brain is just as important as our liver or our kidney or our heart. And if we don't take good care of our brain, then the rest of us will not function well, no matter how strong that heart is or how great your kidneys are functioning. So, but you, you know, you bring up a point. It's it's exactly one that I've struggled with even on this show. Many times people don't want to call in and share. 
share what's going on with them because they feel like it's stigmatizing. So um, I appreciate your comment. You're right. We need to work on it. I think we all need to get on our bandwagon and, and, and talk about that as much as we can. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you need treatment for depression or anxiety. You need to go get the treatment and make sure you get the appropriate help and demand the appropriate help. So thanks for your call, Sue. Um, I see we have another caller in the line while we're getting him set. I just want to make a couple of other comments. Um, I mentioned earlier that there do seem to be some brain differences in those psychopaths who really do commit violent crimes, who seem like they don't meet any other criteria for uh, a mental disorder. But if they have psychopathic behavior... Um, And that's where um, they are individuals who don't have empathy, who don't have the ability to be nurturing, who who really don't care about the feelings of others. Psychopaths typically have lower heart rates um, than a a highly anxious uh, person. Many times will have a really rapid heart rate because they're anxious all the time. Even a depressed person sometimes can have a very rapid heart rate or high blood pressure, whereas a psychopath is pretty cool about it all. Now, many times um, what's been found is they have less Um, gray matter in their prefrontal cortex, and they have um, malformed or less formed in one or two studies uh, amygdalas. That's the emotional part. So there may really be something true to does that make it okay? No, of course not. It just means that there might be some brain differences that um, are present in individuals who tend to, um, for one of a better words, are are more able to do such terrible negative acts. So I just want you to remember it looks like we lost our last caller. So in summary, what I'd like to say about today's show is that we do have some research out there that has allowed us to have a little bit better idea about why sometimes there are individuals out there who commit horrible acts. Um, We also have information out there that tell us that individuals who have mental illnesses, the majority of them, do not commit violent acts and are not criminals and are not individuals that we should look at as being scary individuals. There are people who need treatment, appropriate treatment, often therapy, sometimes medication, but most often therapy. And we need to develop better services out there for these individuals. Um, I hope that um, anyone now the other thing I want to just mention to all of you is that uh, viewing these kinds of news feeds over and over and over again can be very traumatizing. And some of you out there may be feeling very anxious or afraid for yourself or your child. Um, So I would encourage you turn it off, turn it off right now. 
if you feel like it's starting to overtake you and cause you to lose sleep, try to read something that's comforting. Think about the fact that um, there is nothing that you can do about this um, at present other than make sure you advocate for um, appropriate services for those who are in need right now, and there are plenty people out there. But don't give yourself an adjustment disorder from trying to deal with all of these difficult things. Um, so go out and exercise. Make sure you eat well and do what you can to make sure that you sleep well. Um, do those soothing things that we know can be helpful to sleep, whether it's a nice warm bath or whether it's aromatherapy or whatever. But keep in mind that this constant bombardment to these awful heinous acts that have occurred can sometimes affect you even when you don't realize it. And so um, watch out for yourself and take care of yourself. So I appreciate everybody for your calls um, on this show. I thought we had a lot of good thoughts, a lot of differing opinions, and um, but a lot of good opinions out there. We will have a show coming up next uh, in the in the next few weeks on suicide because I do believe that's a very important topic. And I am always open if any of you would like a particular topic to to please call in and feel free to let me know what you'd like to talk about. That's what this is about. This is a show all about you and your family. So today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. And you can um, listen to it on podcast if there are any shows you'd like to. We hope you'll stay tuned next for NPR's Here and Now on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.